Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Frank James Podcast. Today my guest is Eric Thor. You might have heard of him before if you watch me on YouTube because he has a channel as well that talks about similar stuff, that stuff being personality typology. Eric is the creator of Flow Typology, in which uh, you track types, you get typed based on what puts you in a flow state or a stress state. It's really interesting stuff. This is sure to be a elucidating conversation that we're going to have, and I'm so excited to have him here on the program. You can check out his website and read up more on Flow Typology at ericthor.com, that's Eric with a K, or check out his YouTube channel, Eric Thor. Well, Eric, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I am very excited to have you here with me. And uh, how are you doing today? Hey, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I love the fact that you're actually doing a podcast besides just YouTube. What do you think yeah. uh, is the difference between like uh, doing this via podcast instead of YouTube? Well, I think uh, that is a good question because in my mind it makes perfect sense, but I'm not sure I've ever explained it in words. But <laughs> uh, I th- doing a podcast, you know, it's all it's all audio, so the focus is completely on the words and the thoughts and the conversation, and it's there's less. Uh, you have to worry less about that other dimension of the of the presentation, which is the visual part of it, you know? Yeah, it's true. I already feel a lot less distracted uh, not having to see myself and my own face while I'm talking. <laughs> right, and you don't have to think about, uh, you know, what does the shot look like? Did I make a weird face when I said something? And am I looking at the camera? It's just a lot less pressure. Exactly. And you asked me how I was doing. And uh, I actually just uh, came home from an MBTI meetup in Amsterdam here, where I live. And uh, yeah, so that was great. So how many people do you get together at an MBTI meetup? I mean, it's a major city, so I'd imagine that you get quite a few. It should be a lot bigger than what it is. Uh, It's about, Mm -hmm. we were about 10 people now, so that's still a good group. Uh, But I think we've been able to get together like 30 people at some point. So uh, it can be quite big if we have the right topic, the right day. Oh, yeah. Are you the organizer for it? I'm one of the co-organizers. I haven't actually organized anything yet, but I will organize my first meetup in May. Oh, okay. What kind of stuff do you do when you get together for an MBTI meetup? Is it just sort of like... uh, talk to each other about what it's like to be, you know, different types, or do you have a subject that you are going to tackle when you go into it? I think it's just about being able to talk things out uh, and especially share your own experiences. Like most people will talk about their family situation, relationships, uh, the best partner, dating. Like a lot of people actually, I think, come there to date and find a date (laughs) or it's or it's just to meet people with the same type or something. Yeah. Well, it's not a bad idea to go to a meetup group and look for some singles there. So, Do you uh, often find yourself in those meetings taking kind of a teaching role? Because, I mean, you do so much online. I feel like your YouTube channel is, is primarily about teaching. Uh, do you yeah. find yourself taking on that role in these meetups and like trying to explain your your theories on everything? 
Yeah, I, I find myself teaching and sometimes I get annoyed with myself for doing it. But uh, even at these meetups, uh, I find people usually ask me a lot and ask me for the theory stuff because a lot of people will have the patterns down about different types and they'll have it right. But then they will want, uh, they will usually ask me about like, what is actual theory? How does it actually work and why? And which kind of function is it? Right, right, exactly. Do you find that that's what, is that like in your mind what the point of your YouTube channel is, is primarily to teach? What do you see the the function of the channel being? Uh, I don't want to just teach. I want to, I'm also very passionate about what I do and wanting to do something different. Uh-huh. So I also want to go my own way with my own content. So what I felt is that I can be too focused on the teaching aspect uh, mm-hmm. and uh, too afraid of the uh, conflict of uh, putting out different content and different ideas because I have a lot of very different ideas than the original MBTI and um, uh, I don't want to be received as just another MBTI rehash that you can read up on online because that's I'm, I think I have a lot more right okay well can you go let's start exploring that like what you see as being the 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 points of departure uh, between you and what we'll call like traditional MBTI. Um, like uh, on your website, you talk about flow psychology, uh, neo-Jungian typology. Um, are these both terms that you've come up with? And what is what is it all about? I definitely did not come up with flow psychology, but I think I am the first to connect the study of personality types to the study of flow and health. Uh-huh. Well, most people are focused on, you know, uh, categorizing types by how people act and what they tend to appear like and what people tend to do. My system is usually about who you are at your best. So which areas you're the most confident in and which areas you are more motivated by. And I often find that people can be very different from how they portray online or at work or on friends. Right. So do you see, I mean, is that the the first bit of major departure you think do you think the the traditional myers briggs is not looking at that what do you what do you see that they are looking at mostly behaviors mostly self perception mostly behavior and self perception basically we look the questions will ask you what do you tend to do what do you often do how do your friends perceive you and uh they, they feed into our own perception of ourselves and our own role and persona. And some people, including myself, can get so caught in our personas that we really don't really know who we are anymore. Yeah. So like when I was in politics, uh, for example, I took on this outgoing role where I had to be super engaging and super passionate and super enthusiastic. And it, I didn't realize how draining that was for me and how difficult that was and what pressure I put on myself to be like that. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I think I see where you're going. So it's more like people like to think of themselves as being a certain way because maybe the, whatever they're doing calls for it and maybe they're even really good at it, but it, but so what's the difference? Yeah, so like uh, 
especially like I think INFJs are often labeled as chameleons, you know, yeah. like they can take on the qualities of whoever they're hanging out with. And I think ENFJs will agree with this as well, to some extent, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if somebody is interested in something, you try to be interested in it for them. And uh, if they need something from you, you try to be that for them. So I often don't really recognize who I am until I kind of take a step back and realize, wait a second, this is not me. Wait a second. This is draining me. This is taking energy from me. And this is a lot in the the long run. Right. So that's the, that's the flow element is that even if I'm good at it, even if I'm doing it all the time and that's what I see myself as once you're honest with yourself, it's like, wow, that was taking a lot out of me. Yeah. Like, how was it for you when you took your first MBTI test or read about your own type? Uh, It was, I mean, it was, (laughs) I feel like it was like many other people's experience. And I didn't really think too much about it. Uh, Well, this is difficult to explain. And part of it is I don't necessarily remember. I thought, I guess it's embarrassing to admit, like, I was like, oh my gosh, this describes me perfectly, which is, I think, everyone's reaction to their, when they read their type. Um, And I'm like, finally, I understand that I'm not just some freakazoid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what I see is often like you, the first time you read it, it's like, wow, yeah, my, my life, my whole life makes sense. Yeah. Suddenly, like, I understand why I'm like this. And uh, I've never ha- heard it put down like this before. And uh, nobody has been able to understand this about me before. So it's a very meaningful experience. Right. But often the longer and longer you get into it, the more you start recognizing that, hey, I'm not just this person. Like, this right. is, uh, uh, this starts to sound more and more like a stereotype and starts to sound like it exaggerates. It, it also seems to miss a lot of aspects. Like, often I find that articles on INFJs are too focused on introverted intuition. Yeah. And the one single cognitive function cannot explain every single aspect of our personality. So I tend to say that the person has actually four cognitive functions that are present in flow. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So all four are present in flow? Them. Sorry? So all four are present in flow. It's not just like you when an INFJ uses in, introverted intuition, they're in flow. It's like all, all four functions play into that? Right, but not the ones you think. Like the traditional MBTI has ignored the presence of the shadow functions for a really long time and not uh. seen how those connect to type. I believe that the functions that are most present in an INFJ are introverted intuition and introverted feeling and feeling really? judging and intuitive judging. Uh-huh. So here I talk about two new cognitive function concepts, feeling judging and uh, intuitive judging. And that's basically proactive intuition introverted intuition proactive feeling and introverted feeling okay so when you say uh all right so that we're gonna have to slow down and break this apart because this is this is starting to uh get into stuff that i am not terribly familiar with because it's i mean because it's your uh system so is this related to the archetypes that you talk about on your site, these different, um, the you know, especially with the INFJ being introverted, intuitive and introverted feeling? 
Yeah, like the archetype approach that I use is, uh, you know, if a lot of people will try to find a simple quantitative definition for a cognitive function, like, uh, like you can say that introverted intuition is an internal imagination process, basically, and you can reduce it to that like quantitative aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But my interest in it is a lot more qualitative. So I talk about like the myth or the archetype behind the cognitive function. So when I talk about introverted intuition, I tend to talk about the sage or the philosopher archetype, the person right. who doubts everything and who knows they don't know anything and who always searches for truth and explanation. Right, right. Okay. Well, the one of the things that people might be confused about and i know that i'm i'm wondering to hear you explain this is that you say that the introverted feeling is strong in the infj but that's not in the top four functions usually that you see for uh for an infj so how is it that they use introverted feeling do you mean that is it the same introverted feeling that we talk about when we're talking about like an infp or is this is this like different terminology that you're using so I rely on the base Carl Jung's uh, defi- definitions on the cognitive functions, and that's okay. my base. I know the MBTI transforms and warps a lot these concepts, yeah. uh, so it uh, might sound a little bit different. But if you go back to the base, uh, what uh, Carl Jung says about introverted feeling can just as well explain an INFJ as it can an INFP. Uh, what I have noticed is, uh, however, that the MTI and the base four functions as we know them, mm-hmm. they focus on different sides of us. Like uh, the dominant function reflects us in flow. The auxiliary reflects when we are vulnerable or when we strive for something higher. The tertiary reflects a bad habit in stress. And the inferior function reflects a weakness. So... When people say an INFJ has N-I-F-E-T-I-S-E, they are talking about one of our flow functions, one of our higher ideals, one of our stress tendencies, and one of our core weaknesses. Oh. Oh, okay. So they all so you're saying that they all represent something different about like a different uh i don't know mindset or state of state of being is that the right way of looking at it yeah basically a mood like oh, okay. uh, depending on if we're stressed or depending on if we're in flow and depending on if we're confident in ourselves or if we hold ourselves in high self-esteem okay so then when we get into the shadow functions which would be extroverted intuition introverted feeling uh introverted uh, or extroverted thinking, introverted sensing, are those part of the system as well for an INFJ? Yeah, all every function can use all cognitive functions. Everything uh, is relevant to every personality type. Like uh, the question is not how much or how present it is. It's not about the use. Like the problem with MTI is it has focused too much on the use of a cognitive oh. function, but not on the feeling of a cognitive function or the mood or the mindset. Or the perspective we have on it. So okay. I believe that uh, we have certain functions that are present in flow and certain that are present in stress and certain that are present as blind spots or weaknesses. Okay. So in, the, in this uh, stack, when you talk about an INFJ having introverted feeling being strong, what 
role does that play? What mindset are we in or mood when when we're going to that function? When we go into introverted feeling, we take on the archetype of a mediator or healer, uh-huh. a person that takes on everyone's emotions as if they were their own and uh, thinks about and mediates and tries to balance and find harmony between these feelings. So okay. the reason INFJs are so driven to be reassuring and healing and supportive and mediating when an INTJ, for example, would not care about these things is because we have introverted feeling. Okay, well, the, well, well, here's something. Let me jump in because usually uh, someone would disagree by saying that uh, INTJs have introverted feeling as their tertiary function supposedly being higher up in their function stack. So how is it that they will care less than we, or how is it that they would use introverted feeling less than an INFJ who doesn't even have it in their top four? Right. So the question is not about who uses it the most or who uses it the least. Uh, Okay. The problem is uh, the INTJ uses introverted feeling in stress where the INFJ uses introverted thinking and stress. So when we're not at our best as INFJs, we get into a loop where we shut down emotionally, we cut ourselves off, we become detached, like we pretend we don't feel anything and that we don't care about anyone. Right. And uh, for the INTJ, it's the other way around. They take on like a state of victimhood. They focus on the hurt they feel and the disharmony around them. And the fakeness they feel about other people. Okay, there's a All different right, spiral you. there. Right. So, in what uh, in what scenario does a an INFJ go to their introverted feeling? When we're at our best, like when we are in flow, like it's actually not that far away from us. It's actually a natural part of us. Like uh, I think it's hard to say that an INFJ actually has introverted intuition in a higher slot than introverted feeling. I think that can depend on development. I can see that uh, when you look at an INFJ, our need for depth and for understanding and for that philosophical aspect is just as big as that need for harmony. And we struggle as just as much around extroverted sensing as we struggle around extroverted thinking. We struggle just as much with, you know, Uh, that uh, being present and being attentive to other people as we struggle with uh, asserting ourselves or standing up for ourselves in a conflict. Mm -hmm. So how would you differentiate introverted feeling from extroverted feeling? And I'm sure this is something you've explained in a video before, but just for, for my edification here and those listening, because your description of introverted feeling sounds similar to a lot of people's description of extroverted feeling uh, in the sense of trying to maintain harmony and, uh, you know, being aware of everyone else's feeling state. So what would you say is the difference there? Yeah, so what makes an INFJ care for other people and guide other people and, uh, Uh, take on the role of, uh, you could say, a teacher or helper or caregiving figure Mm -hmm. is feeling judging. So feeling judging is the other piece of the picture worth looking at here. We have proactive feeling, proactive introverted feeling. So we're not just focused on our own emotional state, but we're also focused on 
acting proactively, trying to help other people, trying to support them, trying to get them through something. Now, okay. if you look at extroverted feeling as opposed to introverted feeling, uh, you can kind of define it as an intelligence. Like introverted feeling is interpersonal, interpersonal intelligence, like knowing yourself. An extroverted feeling is inter- interpersonal intelligence, which is knowing other people and knowing your relationships. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, well, that sounds like it's a bit closer to the common understanding of it. And it almost sounds like you're saying there's some connection. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading into this, that the extroverted feeling takes some of its, uh, I don't know, some of its power uh, in an INFJ from the, uh, from the support of the introverted feeling. Is that, is that a fair assessment to make? Right. So when uh, Carl Jung describes extroverted feeling, for example, he uh, focuses usually on the question of what is appropriate. Uh, and, you know, with extroverted functions, I feel like as soon as it becomes extroverted, it becomes a lot more practical. Mm. Like uh, it becomes on uh, how do you treat other people? What is right and wrong in a situation? What should you say or what should you not say to a person? You know, right. and as an INFJ, to be honest, I can feel sometimes really oblivious to these things. Like it can be hard for me to... Uh, read relationships and a group and uh, other people. And sometimes I completely misread them, uh, get so caught up in what I think they might be feeling than mm-hmm. uh, like uh, what is appropriate in the situation. Right. So it's almost you like you're, that. you're running a simulation almost in your mind about what they're going through rather than just looking at the practical, Hey, what's in front of me. Right. And yeah, that's uh, the struggle, like, because uh, sometimes it can be hard to uh, nail down, for example, if you're an INFJ or an ENFP or an INFP or an ENFJ or so on, uh, because it can be hard to nail down if it's coming from a position of flow, like what you're confident in and what you trust in yourself, or if it's it has, if it has to do with the, uh, like something you aspire towards or idealize or wish you were good at. Right, right, exactly. Well, that that's how I feel about. Um, that's how I Sorry, feel about. Ac- oh, that's fine. No, and, you know, if she wants, she can join us if she wants. But, uh, <laughs> the, but that's like with me and uh, like with extroverted sensing. Like I really sometimes I feel like I'm obsessed with it, and I'm like I'm really good at extroverted sensing, man, because it's like something I aspire to be good at. Because really, when I'm being honest with myself, I'm. The, I only notice when I'm good at it because I'm typically not very good at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, ga- you know gathering in new sensory details and everything. And I know you have had Dave on uh, recently, and I know he talks a lot about how we tend to compensate for mask our weaknesses. Right. And uh, I feel like I take on extroverted sensing in short bursts, like uh, in a social setting for an hour or two hours or uh I like uh, it's like you when it's your weakness like you don't even want to kind of acknowledge that it's there so you try your best to pretend it's not there or to hide it from other people or you put it on for as long as you can and then you kind of run away from the situation as soon as it runs out (laughs) right and then afterwards you look back at it and you're like 
really proud of yourself. You're like, man, I did something that was hard. Yes. And then you're like, you can trick yourself into being like, it was, it wasn't that hard. It was no, de- no big deal. You know? Right. I'm so good at extorted sensing. Like maybe I'm a little bit of an ESFJ or ESFP, you know? <laughs> right. Like- yeah. I've, I've thought about that before. I'm like, dude, maybe I'm actually some lead SEEP, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm so good at it. I had that problem in YouTube videos because uh, when I make YouTube videos, no matter what type I'm talking about, it's like method acting. Like I go so deep inside of it yeah. that I kind of forget myself. Like I talk about it as if I am that type and I get so deep into the motivations and feelings of that type. Like I don't even, yeah, I might have even accidentally say in the video, oh, I'm an ESFP, <laughs> like we right. ESFPs. Wait a second. No, that's not me. Right. You're taking on such an empathetic role. Does that, that makes me think, do you have a, is there a specific cognitive function or a type or one of these archetypes that you find the most interesting, the most fascinating? So... I don't know which uh, archetypes I am the most fascinated by. I read so many books. Uh, like uh, yeah. at the moment, I read like one book every week, usually lots of fantasy, fiction, oh, wow. and everything. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of like investigating different archetypes every week. So right, right now I'm really, uh, really uh, interested in a character from Brandon Sanderson's books uh, from the Stormlight Archives. It's uh-huh. Kaladin Stormblessed. And uh, I'm really impressed by him as a personification of the healer and uh, of uh, the person that feels it's their responsibility to take care of everyone else around them. Okay, yeah. So do you, I mean, so with all these archetypes that you have, um, what, what struck me most about it is thinking about actually what you just talked about with fictional characters, because I think that is, that's definitely a thing for thousands of years in drama and literature to have these archetypal archetypical characters. Um, Cause I, rem- I don't know how much you've studied theater, but I studied it in college and they were talking about in a history class, learning about like Roman theater and how, uh, they might have even called them archetypes. I forget exactly the terminology, but it's like every play had these specific roles in them. You know, these characters that filled these specific roles that basically went along these, uh, you know, uh, archetypes. Uh, maybe not exactly what you have, but uh, seeming to reflect something in the human uh consciousness that we just know that people fill these different roles all the time. Yeah, like I think uh, an archetype is like a mythical representation of a personality trait that exists across all cultures in the world and across yeah. time and history. So we can go back uh, many thousand years ago and look at our first novels and the first stories like in the ancient Greek days or the Roman. And uh, we can see like the ruler who takes on to be authoritative and to gain power and to maintain power. And we can see like the uh, the seeker who goes wandering somewhere and uh, everyone is like, where are they going? And yeah, that's extraordinary intuition to me. Right, right. Well, I mean, that was what Carl Jung was all about, isn't it? The Wasn't he the, uh, the archetypes? I mean, I, 
here I am, you know, into all this psychology stuff, and I've never actually really studied uh, Jung's work, but that seems to be something I've heard a lot about about his work is that he was really focused in on these archetypes as explaining, you know, using them to explain yeah. the human experience. Yeah, and I picked that up. I've studied a lot about Jung's 12 archetypes, and I connect uh, most of them to one cognitive function. And then I've also tried to add other archetypes. on. And the thing is, like, a cognitive function can have many different forms, and that's why I'm often, I often struggle with, you know, defining it in quantitative terms, like saying it's simply this or simply that. Because, right. yeah, there can be many different representations of it. Right. I think that's why there's so much discussion in the typology uh, community because there people recognize that there are so many expressions of a particular cognitive function or of a particular type and so it's very difficult for everyone to see the same thing there are how long how long ago was it that you started work on this this whole concept of bringing together the idea of flow with personality. So I started uh, studying the MTI about eight years ago, and I've tried out so many different approaches uh, before yeah. I found one that stuck. And uh, the one that stuck was when I started working with Christian Johansson at Neo Jungian Typology, and we tried mm -hmm. to make our first uh, personality test, cognitive function test, because none of the approaches to test the functions seemed to work. Like no matter what we did, we couldn't seem to get like uh, consistent dichotomies. You know, most personality tests, people get different results every day. But when right. I, we started to talk about what you enjoy and what gives you energy, suddenly something happened and things started going a lot better and the results okay. got a lot better. So, so how was it that you thought to do that to begin with? So. Uh... So was it just like trying random stuff or was there this eureka moment where all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is, this is what we should do? Like Christian was really fascinated with the neuroscience and uh, genetic research in psychology and modern uh, advancements. Mm -hmm. And uh, he showed me a lot of studies and uh, we went through them. And something I came to notice was... Uh, uh, a lot of these traits seem to have a lot more to do with a specific situation or context. And that context seems to be mood. Like uh, uh, it's, for example, it's about motivation or how long you can maintain motivation in something like, uh, or how quickly you get distracted by new things. That's what became the fundamental for judging and perceiving to me. Like a judging type uh, can get really motivated about one thing core thing and keep going with it for a long time a perceiving type can get distracted and see many new things that come up on the way and uh, yeah. okay switch. so is that because um a judging type will have a uh intro will have introverted intuition or sensing in their top two whereas it's the the extroverted sensing or intuition for a perceiving type in the top two is that why they have that difference of being able to focus in on one thing versus seeing new possibilities? No, I don't think that. I think the MBTI made a mistake uh, when they uh, introduced judging and perceiving. And I think they made a good mistake, actually. Uh, oh. Because, uh, first of all, it has nothing to do with rational or irrational. 
like that was their core intention from the beginning to describe uh, the rational preferences uh, as opposed to the irrational preferences, like having N or S higher than F or T. Uh, oh. But uh, how they came to use it was completely different. They said the judging type is organized, like uh, to be on time, likes uh, to have goals. The perceiving type is adaptable, likes to prefers to work by target by target, uh, takes the situation as it comes. So that's actually something completely different. Oh, okay. So what do you? What is it about? a perceiving type or a judging type what is like what do you just delineate it based on based on that uh marker of being able to get motivated by one thing or uh being able to handle a bunch of new things is that is that the biggest thing that you use in typing a judging type versus perceiving type yeah i look at a person's motivations for sure but i also look at their interests so an yeah. interest is like a hobby or source of energy. A motivation is something that we find to be important, that we like care about for the sake that we care about it. Uh, and uh, introversion or extroversion, for example, I find it's about like uh, stability, like what makes us feel steady and calm and secure. Okay. Judging and perceiving is about the confidence and the feeling of being capable or of doing or what we, what we feel best about skills okay so you are so this is how you developed the sorry let me refer let me start that question over again so the whole the system came from trying to develop a test that seemed to get more accurate results by looking more at how you react when you are feeling up versus down. And it sounds almost like you're going at the dichotomies of the letters here rather than trying to focus in on specific functions. Is that right? So you're looking at I versus E, J versus P, and then everything falls in after that? Yeah, yeah. You can say that uh, I look at it from that perspective. However, I find that there's a difficulty. You know, you cannot say that the person is introverted. Like, 100% introverted. You cannot say that the person is 100% intuitive. Right. Often I find a lot of people are a, lit, a little more closely to the middle than what they often think. I find uh, we have introverted sides and we have extroverted sides. Like uh, I'm introverted when it comes to intuition and to feeling, but uh, I can be extroverted uh, when it comes to other aspects. Right. Right, like well, when as you mentioned earlier, when you were involved in politics, you were kind of forced into doing that. Yeah, and there is a misconception, of course, between uh, being proactive and being extroverted. Like, of course, there's a difference between uh, being extroverted, which is about, for example, well, it can be about interpersonal relationships, like uh, maintaining friendships and. Uh, uh, what is right and what is wrong in a situation for a person or what's proactive, which is like, uh, what is your responsibility? What is it you need to do as a person? What is uh, your important duty or task? So a proactive person can take initiatives and can do a lot of stuff without necessarily being extroverted, like being engaged or caught up in it as it happens. Right, right, okay. 
I got you. So there is a a bit more of a a nuance to it. Do you think that your test is? I mean, as you've seen, you, how long have you had the test up for people to take? Uh, about a year now, I think, okay. as it is. Uh, only since last month did I start to uh, really consider it perfected. Before then, I've, it's been a lot more experimental. And just oh. a few uh, we, a week ago, I launched a small update. So I tried to tweak the questions, but now I'm set on a specific approach and mentality now i feel pretty good at it so do you think that the test now as you've been working on it has is more accurate for self-testing where it's easier for people to be honest and not fool themselves than your typical myers-briggs test like what do you think is the advantage of the way you word the questions Yes, for sure. I think my personality test is better than, uh, for example, other MBTI tests that you encounter online, because yeah. most other MBTI tests are focused on the dichotomies. Mm -hmm. And I actually, every question I ask is a cognitive function question. Yeah. And because uh, the other tests can't seem to decide if a type is about like how your friends and family members see you, what you do often, what you like, they, they keep going back and forth between those questions. And uh you know, the traditional MBTI test, there's so much more easy to gain. Like you can get the outcome you want to in an MBTI test. You notice fairly quickly, like, yeah. what do I want to be? But my test is very difficult to gain. Most people say they cannot know what outcome they will get or what, right. uh, what is best. There is no inherent bias. Right, right. Because I think that's the one of the biggest problems with... Uh, say, for instance, the 16 personalities test is that you you can clearly tell on most of the questions what they're asking. And it almost yeah. seems like there are correct answers and incorrect answers. And, really uh, and you know, some tests, yeah. some questions there, like it's like they stereotype everything. So everything is just a shallow misrepresentation of what it was supposed to be to make it as easy as possible to answer. So extroversion is, do I like to snort cocaine with my 100 friends I just met? <laughs> or introversion is like, uh, do I like to sit alone in the dark and read and cry? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, to, uh, and it's, you know, I feel like there is also um, some things are just generally more socially valuable, if you will, in Western culture now than other things and i feel like just be, especially in our generation i feel like if you don't value intuition over sensing and if you don't value feeling over thinking it's like you you know something's wrong with you you know yeah i don't know if you i don't know if you've seen the same thing it just feels like Sure. It's almost like if you if you don't get INFJ on a 16 personalities test or INFP or maybe if you don't get an NF on a personality test, then you've failed, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Of course, it depends on where you're coming from. Like I know INTJs that can have a very strong, you know, yeah, INTJs are best idea. And uh, INTPs that are like, oh, INTPs are the one type to rule them all, you know? But oh, yeah. uh, I, uh, the MBTI in Jung's purpose was to show healthy differences in personality, not unhealthy so the MBTI has failed to really take that on and take that lesson with them because uh, 
there seems to be some really strong assumptions about intelligence and health and ability, depending on if you're a sensor or intuitive or a feeling or a thinking type. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, like and if I've, you run I, the MPI in uneducated areas, you'll get a lot more people that will score as sensing. And right. are they really sensing or are they? is it just that they are uneducated? Right, right. And so they don't think about it in the because what on those tests when they're asking about sensing versus intuition it's all about like you know intuition is basically basically imagination i mean from my understanding of it and you know the abstract whereas you know, everyone has that even someone who's lead sensing has an imagination and has the ability to think abstractly but uh as you say if they are in a more uneducated uh uh, econ- uh, socioeconomic uh, area, then they're not going to value that because it doesn't it doesn't help them in their day to day life. You know, yeah, or they don't know that they value it. Like they don't give themselves the time to value it. They don't have the room and space to do it. Like uh, you, people can get stuck in a role, and you see that like with well. Uh, how a lot of women are more likely to type as feeling types, like no matter if they're thinking or feeling and how men right. are more likely to score as thinking types and so on. Like uh, we have a role or a persona we put on and we don't realize how blinded we can be by our own expressions. Right, right, exactly. And uh, well, yeah, it's, I feel like, like you said that with the, uh, women always typing is or tending more to type as feelers, et cetera. It's like with the Enneagram, women tend to type more often as twos because that's sort of like, you know, the feeling right. caregiver, motherly type. Um, so yeah, we do have these societal masks that we put on and sometimes forget what's, what's the mask and who we are. Um, yeah. And it's, I, I, I don't know what you think. Do you think that, personality because i just said who who i am but is your personality really who you are or is it just like a layer on top of it what do you think about that i don't know like uh even though i've studied myself for such a long time i still feel like there are so many things i don't know about myself and i still have to ask myself like is this really me or am i really genuine about this like is this for example an inner source of motivation is it something i naturally like Or is it something I just pretend to like because other people (laughs) (laughs) reward me for it or will be happy if I do? So I feel like it's actually very hard to tell the difference between persona and mask, but I believe there is a way. And I think the way is to get out into life and, you know, start your hero's journey, if you say so, like set up a goal for yourself or go out and do something important with yourself or try something out like you might not know how important it will turn out to be it can be something that feels stupid in the beginning you know but something there's something that will confront you with yourself right right because if you if you don't put yourself through those different situations even ones that seem uh not up your alley at first, you know, not uh, something you normally do, or even something that's a pointless waste of time. Sometimes it takes bouncing yourself off of all these different situations to really figure out, oh, I didn't know I had that part of me, you know? 
Yeah. Uh, like uh, you can think to yourself, oh, I'm actually very good at this. Like, uh, I, for example, when I was young, I thought, oh, I was really good at IT and oh, I should go maybe into physics or something like that when I was like 14, 15 yeah. then. And then I did and I was so bored. <laughs> so, so bored. Like, yeah, sure, I'm good at it. Like, I find it interesting as an abstract example to dive into, but the numbers and the data. Oh my God, I hated it. Then I switched class after three weeks and it taught me something about myself. <laughs> Stay away from math. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I took I took the test um, and believe it or not, folks, I did get INFJ on Eric Thor's test. Yes. And I do. And so, <laughs> so it's been confirmed. Um Take that, haters. Uh, so, but the questions, yeah, are, de- are totally different than what you'd see on any other MBTI test. Because, um, I mean, I would recommend everyone go to ericthor.com and click on the personality test and take it. And you can see that all the questions are, are quite different than you see on typical tests because you don't, reading them, to a degree, I was able to sort of guess, oh, maybe this is asking about intuition or something, but it wasn't a clear dichotomy of, oh, this is asking me, you know, it wasn't a question like, I prefer to use logic to solve problems. You know, it's, uh, um, I mean, one question on here, if I may, you know, read one for the audience is, uh, I enjoy pushing for the highest score and the best result. Now, that doesn't really that doesn't jump out to me as describing anything in particular that I would normally associate with a test. Now I made a guess that maybe it has to do with an extroverted judging function, maybe extroverted feeling or thinking, but I could be totally wrong. So um, something there it's extroverted thinking. Okay. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, so it's a much, it's, I feel like this test does definitely, um, is good for the person who is jaded by MBTI and knows everything and you know can game the can game a test like you said. I, I would strongly recommend checking out your test because it is very different than any other one I've seen. Thanks for saying that. I just gotta say uh, it makes you quite. Uh... An anomaly in a way, because uh, a lot of, uh, like you've been typed by objective personality as INFJ as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you got an INFJ in the regular personality test in MTI and in objective personality and in my system. I don't think a lot of people would. Right. Because all the systems are slightly different. Like in a way, they're all looking at the same stuff, but. (laughs) In a way, they're also slightly different. So it would be, you know, it's not implausible that in one system I could be a different type, uh, you know. No, uh, it's not. Uh, and if you might come off in MTI as a certain type just because uh, you like that persona or you can take that on and you've developed that in yourself. So maybe there is room to dis- uh, ex- discuss developed personality types as opposed to flow types, for example, then. But I do believe uh, with objective personality, I feel objective personality is a lot closer to what I'm doing than the regular MTI is. So, oh yeah, I try to tell well, yeah, how similar we are, and I think we're at about like maybe fifty percent at the moment 
which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you weigh it all together, I think it is actually, because I think with MTI, I think I only have like 25% income or something. Yeah. Okay. So you think between your system and uh, Dave's system, objective personality, that, that you're, you have about 50% overlap is what you're saying. Yeah. We find ourselves typing very similarly on a lot of people. Yeah. Well, your idea of flow versus stress is very similar to their idea of a savior state versus a demon state. And so, you know, people, it's it's basically the same thing you're saying where I can say, oh yeah, I'm a sensing type because I really love to do that. And I'm really aware of when I'm doing extroverted sensing. Right. But when I, if I'm honest with myself, it's a demon state where it doesn't come naturally. And mm. when I'm in flow, a savior state, I'm doing intuition and I don't even realize it because I'm in flow, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think they mean the exact same things with those concepts as I do. I think right. perhaps that's why they're getting so close. Yeah. One interesting difference though, is that they don't, they don't think that the shadow functions are a thing. So they they basically think you have, I guess the way that I understand it would be you have the four functions and it's sort of like feeling is feeling, intuition is intuition. And so you don't need both, you know, introverted and extroverted, but mm-hmm. your functions are oriented a certain way. So if you have extroverted feeling, you still, you just have feeling, but it's pointing outward rather than inward. You know what yeah. I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, you're like, I don't know if it's that they uh, deny the shadow functions or so, or it's that they just don't want to get into it because their system yeah. is already so complicated with yeah. so many different functions and types. I think if they would all start diving into the shadow functions, a lot of people would uh, probably have their heads fall out or something. Right, right, exactly. Have you ever compared your system to another one like uh, C.S. Joseph's system, for instance? I haven't taken the chance to look at C.S. Joseph's system yet. Yet, What do you think about it? Uh, <laughs> I opened that can of worms. I, don't, I haven't looked too closely into it either, but it does look like um, he does it based on a typing grid. And it seems to be a very like logical it's it's a it has similarities to objective personality in a way where it's like let me cut down the board of possibilities of what this is and he has his own um you know whole whole batch of terminology that he uses that's all his own so uh it's you know i definitely want to look into it to see what how it compares to other ones but i I was just curious if you had looked into it um like but, I want, I want the bird's eye view. I want the bigger picture. I want to understand all the systems, uh, but I do find myself wrestling uh, the more logical models and the more quantitative models because it's so foreign to my own thinking. Like uh, I much prefer a qualitative aspect of how does it feel, what are the nuances, right. what are the stories surrounding it, what are the myths around it. Uh, not uh, what are the numbers, what are the date, what is the data, how do you organize it in a system in a grid, <laughs> like right. So you have you have a very NF kind of system, and uh, his is very NT, I think. So yeah, for sure, and socionics as well. I, I'm trying to get wrap my head around socionics, and I get a lot of interesting takeaway from it once in a while. 
but a lot of time I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've looked into Socionics a little bit, and in some ways, it feels like uh, I'm well. I'm totally talking with from a point of zero knowledge, but it seems like there's it's basically a lot of the same stuff as uh, you know Myers Briggs, but it is looking a lot more at intertype connections and how the different different right. types and different functions work together. And uh, but I agree that whenever I've tried to dip my toe into that, I'm like, this is really complicated and. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. going to take a lot of study. So so I was kind of wondering, how do you feel about MBTI now? And like, where does your channel stand with uh, objective personality and MBTI and everything? Well, um, I, I think that, well, it, just the Myers-Briggs, the actual Myers-Briggs system, I think is sort of useless uh, the way that it's being marketed and used yeah uh, talking about like the actual you know trademark myers-briggs and what most people look at it uh the way most people look at it and you know honest it's so weird because i got a comment from somebody who was like well do you also follow like the horoscopes because i feel like astrology is way more helpful to me than myers-briggs like or it's more accurate and i That's other people thing. were yeah, it's which I thought was bizarre because even if even though Myers Briggs is you know has its faults and maybe is just uh, is prone to uh, mistyping because you're typing yourself, it's trying to describe you as you are, you know, it's in some way. It's like looking at you and seeing oh, based on what I see from you, you are this type. Whereas astrology is you were born on this day. So you are like this, which uh, so, uh, <laughs> but I think what that person was speaking to is that a lot of Myers-Briggs is so general and so open to being mistyping to, to so open to mistyping. Plus, uh, when you throw in um, how trademark Myers-Briggs is all about you're great at doing this and you're great at doing this, it almost, it becomes useless in a way because it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Mm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that maybe Myers-Briggs has a good intention behind it. And I mean, someone must find it useful if they're still, if they're still using it. But I do think that there are, there are a lot of other systems like objective personality and like your, your system that are just much more, useful because there's they, they try to get around inherent biases yeah like i think if there were no hammers but there were only like uh uh what you say spears i think a lot of people would try to use a spear to nail in the the painting <laughs> instead you know <laughs> and, uh, i think that's just how the mti is used today like it's the best available tool that uh with its scope and with its popularity and uh, so it's the most used, even if a hammer would probably be a little bit better. Right, right. Um, and I think in some ways, if if we want to compare, I don't know what you think about this. I know you've done some Enneagram videos. If we're comparing like traditional mainline Myers-Briggs to Enneagram, I actually think Enneagram is more useful. For sure. Um, yeah. 
because of the personal growth takeaway, like we've forgotten why we do typology to begin with. It's not just about describing a random type or personality trait. Uh, right. The point is to gain some valuable lesson for personal growth, understanding your own emotions or experiences and how you can deal with them better. Right, right. Because if you look at mainline Enneagram, it's like, here's your... Uh, sin here's your mortal sin that you're committing yeah. with your personality type whereas mainline myers-briggs is like oh my gosh you're the best you're so good at all this stuff and it's like yeah. okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. it's like with the mti it's like uh, it doesn't even want to talk about development or personal growth because if it does it kind of uh, because of its stereotypes uh, um, it punches itself in the face because of right. how, to, how it needs people to be simple and stereotypical representations of their personality type. It doesn't need people that have developed themselves to somehow become better at what they do and to take care of their weaknesses and to stand a little bit taller. Right, right. So which is why I like objective personality uh, in particular, because it's all about kicking your butt and being like, you're, you're bad at this, get better. Uh, so what do you hope after someone like me takes your test and comes up with a type, what do you hope that their next step will be with that information? Or like, what, what are they supposed to do with that knowledge? I think first, uh, they should uh, understand that, uh, they have uh, more sides to themselves than what they might have previously thought. Like they're not just introverted intuitives. If that's the type they came out with, and yeah. they have other sides as well that they should also investigate. And they should try to find balance between all those sides inside themselves because a lot of people have a lot of internal conflict and unbalance in this. They should also become more aware and admit, start admitting to their own weaknesses and blind spots. Like a lot of people won't even admit to that they have weaknesses and blind spots. Like with extroverted sensing, for example, they don't notice how they are often prone to disappearing from other people or how they fail to pay attention to others and how much they tend to miss about what's going on around them. Like they don't want to talk about it, but if you can at least admit to it that, yeah, I can have those issues and I'll try my best in uh, necessary and important situations to deal with that. That's uh, already a step for development. Right. Right. So the, you're, your profiles on here do have the uh, do have that. Let me see. I'm just looking at. I'm pulling up the INFJ one. So it talks. You have once you get your personality type on your site, you have the list of archetypes that are related to them, which I think is really interesting. That your system has several archetypes like infj has one two three four five six different archetypes just for this one type so there are many different things you can relate to um then it has your the core values of the type the primary needs the and the blind spots and uh and weaknesses here so it's a it's a very complete profile and it it's not just looking at what are you great at? But it's also looking at what, how can you think of yourself in terms of archetypes, like different roles you fill perhaps in society, as well as um, 
the blind spots. And if they're blind spots, you don't really necessarily know you have them. So it's good to have it pointed out to you, you know? Yeah. I feel that this is what the MRTI should be. It should be talking about strengths. It should be talking about weaknesses. It should be talking about blind spots. Uh, it should be talking about higher ideals, like uh, primary needs, like what uh, beyond what we are, what we also need in our environment to have more energy and to have more control and to have more confidence. It should be talking about personal growth should be the main takeaway. And I feel that's why the Enneagram is so good and why I've taken so much inspiration from the Enneagram, like with health levels and with uh, discussing a type from both the good and the bad. That's something I've taken completely from the Enneagram and tried to make a part of my system. Right. Uh, what is your Enneagram type? I'm a 952. Not okay, so you you've got the tri type. Okay, cool. Are they most nine? Right, so the the peacemaker, right? Right, yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah, I think I'm not. I'm not exactly sure with mine. I think I'm a four, but I could also be a six. I feel a lot of six energy, but uh, when yeah. push comes to shove, I would say four is probably most accurate for me. Yeah, like, and I don't think you can make any absolute uh, patterns with Enneagram MTI and which type is what Enneagram type because there are only nine ultimately in the Enneagram and there are 16 in the MTI. So uh, most of them bleed in between different traits. Yeah, as I was uh, on, on YouTube is, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this, there's, a, there's like a four-hour Enneagram lecture from Richard Rohr and he go he goes through each type and uh as i was listening to it i was like okay i can draw parallels with certain things like certain elements of type like uh like an 8 sounds like someone who has like a really what objective personality would call a masculine extroverted decider so either so an ej who's like lead te or fe yeah uh, uh who has masculine uh a masculine extroverted decider yeah but other than that it's like who knows yeah <laughs> so exactly like i took a lot of inspiration from the enneagram 8 when i built my extroverted thinking type but i did not take 100 percent inspiration from it right right because you could also have someone who's lead extroverted thinking who's another type so uh, yeah maybe like I've if been... you start going down into development the you can see as well, like an INFJ8 who has uh, like a really strong pressure on themselves to always be tough and strong and uh, to always be the best because of their vision, their NJ telling them, you know, I have to be strong to execute my vision. Right, right. Man, and I, <laughs> an INFJ type 8 would be really interesting to meet because I feel like they might be more rare. <laughs> you know? I think so too, but I've actually met some people who say they are. Oh, really? All right. So uh, lastly, Eric, to, to finish up, I wanted to uh, ask you about uh, a story you've told me before, but I think the audience would find it very interesting about how you ended up moving to Amsterdam because you're originally from Sweden. Right. And uh, so uh, 
So, so I found the story interesting. So I'd, I'd just like to hear you tell it again. Okay, so I am from northern Sweden, but I was studying in Uppsala at the time. And um, I was just like doing like a random thread on the Facebook group uh, for INFPs. And uh, I did like this type me challenge. Like if you uh, post a picture, I will type you. And it was just so, like something I did for fun's sake, you know. Just to... So you were just going to type based on looking at someone. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I, I can find it quite a fun uh, practice. It's not foolproof. It doesn't work in a lot of situations, but it's quite a fun experiment. And yeah. uh, one there, one person came in there. Uh, my now girlfriend, Vanity, came in and commented. And uh, she thought she was an INFJ. And I was like, mm, ENFP. And... Yeah, we, we agreed to disagree, and uh, but we became friends on Facebook, and we started talking. And uh, she was from Amsterdam, and uh, from Netherlands, and uh, we started talking more and more. And uh, yeah, eventually I fell in love with her. And uh, well, it was a very complicated process to say so, but uh, one year later, about <laughs> I moved to the Netherlands, and here I've been for about two years now. Wow! So. Uh... An international love, you might say. So <laughs> that's, you know, that's cool. That's, I feel like people can take away some inspiration there that love can find you in unexpected places, uh, on a Facebook group with someone trolling you saying they'll type you based off a picture. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, yeah, so be they careful. might live in a different right, yeah, yeah. you. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you you never know, even if they're in a different country. Yeah, um, okay. So let me uh, quite crazy because uh, it's no coincidence that about I started my YouTube channel about two years ago as well. So everything happened as soon as I met an ENFP. <laughs> I can say that. So you were so you were right based on your typing of her picture. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> What, what, is, uh, <laughs> Who knows? what is an what does an ENFP look like? I mean, I think I could describe it. They have they all have like the same head shape. Uh, if I can go out on a crazy person limb, but uh, what is it? What is it? Can you describe what an ENFP looks like? Oh, uh, it's not a stereotypical look or anything. Right? What I look for is like this authentic smile, like uh, often with uh -huh. the outer parts of their face, like uh, warm cheeks, like a warm face expression, uh, like uh, open eyes, like an enthusiastic look, like uh, a curious look. Um, uh -huh. That's kind of what I end up looking for. Okay, that's a that's a very good description. I. That is interesting. To me, I'm just like, ENFPs, they kind of have like an oval-shaped head, and <laughs> that's all I got. Wait a second. <laughs> don't, don't most people have that? Uh, yeah, well, I'd, or face shape, you know. Um, it, I'd have to they point have out a face a few. shape? Yeah, yeah, as opposed to like, uh, I'm going to make myself sound stupid, so I'll just stop. But it, I, 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 it's true. Everyone, just believe me, it's true oval shaped face for uh enf e all eps i will look for that <laughs> <laughs> now that i lose all credibility now um all right well eric thanks so much um where can people find out more about you 
and your personality system and flow type. Right. So all my content is available at ericdor.com and my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash ericdor. So thanks so much uh, for inviting me here. It was a blast talking to you. Hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely do it again sometime. Maybe I'll do uh, a live stream or something. Yeah, yeah. A live stream would be cool. Uh, So yeah, everyone, make sure you go over to Eric's YouTube page, subscribe, and head on over to his website, take the test, read up on uh, what he's doing. And thanks so much, Eric. Appreciate your time. Thanks a lot. There he goes. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that conversation just as much as I did. I, I really love talking to Eric. He's so interesting to talk to. Make sure that you go and check out uh, his YouTube channel and his website. I will link to both in the description for this show. Also, uh, make sure that you are subscribed to this show, whether that's on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you prefer. Make sure that you give us a like on SoundCloud. I don't know why I'm saying us. It's just me with a guest. That's the us. It's me and Eric today. Who is it next time? Who knows? I've got a few people lined up. Really interesting stuff. I'm I'm really going off the rails with the end of the show. But give us a like on iTunes. There I go with us again. Give me a like. Give my show a like on iTunes. And on Spotify, there's nothing you can do except follow. Um, Wow, Frank, you really know how to end the podcast, don't you? I do. I know I do. Thanks so much. Thank you. (laughs) Let me end right here. See you next time.